Well, thank you, Miss Denise. We appreciate that. Great song about the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God. Amen. I like that he's constant and consistent. We can depend on him. Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's open the Word of God this morning to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Good to see everyone here. I trust you've had a great week. Boy, has it been hot. <laughs> we have a little reprieve this morning, a little overcast. We had a little shower at the house, and, and uh, that's refreshing. It's, it's, uh, it's a break, but it's still hot. <laughs> and uh, so I trust you'll just uh, stay hydrated, uh, take your break once in a while. Don't, don't let it get to you. Uh, that's, that's bad stuff. And uh, you can just look at me and tell I've been out in it. And uh, I just don't, I don't fare as well. I'm a little, little fairer than some. And so uh, it shows when I get out in the sun too long. And, uh, but I'm, I'm doing all right. Not, I'm not feeling the sunburn. I just look a little red. And uh, everything's good except I'm just a little tired. Boy, that, that heat just zaps it out of you, doesn't it? And uh, so the next day is always, oh, that's just like the hard day. Got to get up and go again. All right, in Luke chapter 19, if you found your place, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. I'd like to have a word of prayer and then just read uh, this verse with you this morning. Just one verse, and uh, that would be verse 10. Pardon me. Luke chapter 19, and then we'll read verse 10. All right, let's pray together. Father, how we love you today, how we thank you for the precious Word of God. And Lord, how we just ask today that as we spend our time in the scriptures, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. We pray, dear Holy Spirit, that you'll be our teacher and guide through the scriptures today. And that most importantly, you would apply the word of God to us. Show us, Lord, what you'd have us do in response to the reading of God's word. And Lord, help us to find our place in your plan. And we will thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 19, and we're going to read verse 10. So find verse 10, and let's look at that one verse together. The Bible says there, this is Jesus speaking. If you have a red letter edition, the words are in red. And Jesus says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. If you're in the habit of marking in your Bible, I would encourage you to Mark or underscore the word lost. And I want to look at that, that word today, the word lost. Notice, what, notice how he's using this word in this verse as we read it one more time. Verse 10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I want to preach a message that I've entitled just that word, the word lost. This message comes from a series that I have entitled Words from God's Word. It's a word that we don't use a lot today unless you know the Lord and you've been in church a while. You don't use this word in the same way Jesus used it. We use the word lost in reference to things we cannot find. I lost my keys, right? Or something like that nature. We laid something down, we misplaced it, we can't remember where we put it. Or maybe, maybe like my mom, you hid something really good because you thought, boy, I want to I save this, right? And then after a little time goes by, you think, my, I cannot remember where I hid that. And you go to a couple of your favorite hiding spots, and it's not there. 
And so, uh, man, she must have been really good at hide and seek when she was younger, I'm telling you, because there's been a few times when it's, it's just taken her a while uh, to find that hiding spot where she put that. <clears throat> but Jesus uses the word lost here in this verse, and he's using it in reference to people. And the people that he's talking about, they're not missing. They're not absent. These are people that were present in the crowds that he was preaching to. They were, they were present in, in the towns and villages where he went. But he, he referred to them as lost. Think about that. Lost. This is a Bible word. And it's a word that we need to understand if we're going to serve the Lord and help people today. Because really, until a person gets to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and until they become familiar with God's Word, they are lost. We think about that word lost, and usually when we think of it, we're thinking about that moment in time. So let me, let me stop for a moment, and let's say, let's say for a moment we're, we're on a journey. And I'm going to use the left side of the platform to be the beginning of my journey and, and the right side to be the end of my journey. And at some point in my journey, I take a wrong turn or I misread the directions, but I'm still traveling on. And somewhere in the middle of my journey, I realize I have that moment, boom, when the light bulb comes on and I say, whoa, wait a minute, I'm lost. Because for the first time, I realize that I don't know where I am. I realize that none of my surroundings are familiar, and this doesn't appear to be the way that I'm supposed to be going. And that moment when that realization sets in, that's the moment we think of when we hear that word lost. But can I help you understand something this morning? If we rewind just a little bit, during this first part of the journey, just before the light bulb came on, these travelers, though unaware, are lost. And they just haven't realized it yet. And when it comes to the things of God, there's a lot of people in our world today that are just like this traveler in this portion of the journey because they have not yet come to the realization that they're lost. But they're still just as lost as they're going to be when the light bulb comes on. Does that make sense? The Bible says Jesus came to save them. Not just to save them, but it says he came to seek and to save them. You know why? Because when you're lost, <laughs> have you watched the show on television? We, we were watching, uh, we watch old reruns, okay, I'm sorry, but we were watching a show called Northwood's Law. Have you ever seen that? We, we found it on YouTube. I don't remember probably by accident, but 
but we're watching some episodes of that. <clears throat> I love the outdoors, and uh, it's just always found it interesting. So any show around DYI or outdoors, I, I kind of like that. And so we're watching these old episodes of Northwoods Law, and on this one episode, uh, these, these people were out hiking, and somehow or another got turned around, and, and they were lost. And so they had to radio, and they had to call in and ask for help. And so these, these game wardens and park rangers <clears throat> had all rallied together, and they were going into the woods, and they were, they were going to seek, they were trying to find these, these travelers, these hunters and these hikers and whoever they, this group, they were trying to find them. <clears throat> I think they were hunters, because now I'm, I'm remembering that the, one of the rangers told the dispatcher, Next time you talk to them, have them fire a shot so we can tell what direction to walk in, right? And I remember they, were, they did a series of shots like that. And the problem is the people who were lost, they were not listening to the instructions. The instructions were, stay where you are. <laughs> they kept moving. So it's like a moving target we're trying to find in the woods. And that's what panic will do to you, right? Well, you make you desperate to do something to help yourself. But what they were doing was actually hurting the process, not helping it, because they were moving away from those who were trying to get to them to bring them out safely. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, that's really how we are as humans in this part of the journey, you know. And especially sometimes once we realize we're lost, man, we try all these frantic things. And I thought, you know, that's how people are too when it comes to spiritual things. Right When we realize we don't have it all together, when we realize that we're lost, we try all this frantic stuff trying to fix it, and really what we need is the Lord. We need to let him find us. I thought about all of this. You know, being lost is not, a, it's not just a predicament, it's a condition. It's a condition that the Bible says we were born into. Let me show you a verse of Scripture. Look at Romans chapter 5, if you would. <clears throat> In Romans chapter 5, we know, we know the story of creation and how God created the world, and then he made man and woman in the Garden of Eden. And, and you know the story of how the serpent came and, and tempted them to sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, in verse 12, it tells us what happened. <clears throat> the Bible says there, Wherefore... As by one man, sin entered into the world, and so death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. This is what some people refer to as original sin. It tells us where sin came from. It came into the world through Adam and Eve, who chose to disobey God. And that put them in a fallen state, a condition, if you will that God referred to as being lost. <clears throat> now, you know, the Lord had to come find them in the garden, didn't he? The Lord had to come find them in the garden, and then he had to take two lambs. Those lambs had to be slain. Blood had to be shed. The Lord took those coats, and he covered them. All of that was an illustration of what Jesus was going to do on the cross. God's plan of salvation has been the same through all the ages. Everyone who has ever been saved has been saved the same way by the same God through the same belief system. <clears throat> now, they may have expressed it differently than we did 
because some looked forward to the coming of Christ. And we now, in New Testament times, we look back on the fact that He came. But all of us are trusting in what He did on the cross. That was the payment for our sin. It's the only payment God will accept. And we know that because back in the day, Adam and Eve tried to pay for their own sin, and they tried to cover themselves. Remember that? The Bible says they sewed fig leaves together, and they tried to make themselves aprons and coverings. Didn't work. God didn't accept any of that. Remember what happened to their children? Because Romans 5.12 says, Because sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men. Guess what? Everyone after that was born in that lost condition. They inherited a sinful nature from Adam and Eve. And not only did we have original sin from Adam and Eve in the world, but then guess what? Every one of us since then have chosen our own sin. And we've committed our own sin. If you go back a page or two, you'll find Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we can't blame it all on Adam and Eve because they're not the only ones. We did it too. We're guilty. There was a time and place in every one of our lives when you understood the difference between right and wrong and you chose wrong anyway. That's sin. And we've all done it. So now we have, we have original sin. This is how it came into the world. And then we have our sin. And you know what? Our sin is what makes us lost. Just like it made them lost. Lost meaning that we were away from God, right? So this lost condition was created and it came into the world. Now, some talk about the age of accountability. And that's kind of a misnomer. I want you to understand that it's not really an age. You can't put a number on that. You can't say, okay, at the age of 12, everybody understands right and wrong and can be saved. Some some. If they're brought up in a Christian home, if they're, if they're exposed to Bible teaching, they may understand it as early as four or five years old. Accountability means you understand what's right and what's wrong, and you're able to choose. I mean, even know kids younger than 12 can make that kind of a choice. Absolutely. Right? <clears throat> so, at the moment you, you can discern the difference, that's when you're accountable. From that point forward, whether you realize it or not, you're lost. This is what the Bible is teaching. This is why Jesus came. We were having a conversation yesterday, and there was a man who shared with me. He said, you know, sometimes people ask, you know, how could God, how could God, a loving God, how could he let people go to hell? And he said, when I hear people ask that question, I always remind them. Now, these were his words, and I thought they were great. He said, I remind them. You're talking about the same God that sent his son to die for you on a cross. And he watched him beaten and suffer and die there for you. So that salvation could be free to you. And if you reject that. He said, you better believe God will let you. He'll send you straight to hell. And he won't have any problem doing it. I thought, boy, those are, whoo, that's strong language. And then I thought, well, it's kind of true, isn't it? 
I've heard people think of something bad and they'll say, where was God when this happened? Well, he was sitting on the same throne that he was sitting on when he watched his son being beaten and killed for you. And he could not come to the rescue and deliver him. I mean, he could have, but he couldn't have because he would have messed up the plan of salvation and then none of us would have any hope of being saved. Jesus had to die so that sin could be forgiven. See, when we think of God forgiving sins, we just think God just kind of blinks and acts like he didn't see that. If God forgave sin on that basis, then he would not be just, and he would not be righteous, and he would not be holy. That's not God. God cannot excuse sin by just acting like he didn't see yours. Every sin that God forgives has to be paid for, or he wouldn't be just and righteous. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross. So that God could forgive our sins on the basis that the payment has already been made for you. Therefore, he can justly and righteously and legally forgive you. Because you're you're fine, your penalty's been paid in Jesus Christ. And you know what? That's the problem. Because here's the truth about lost people. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. Write it down as point number one, right? Lost people, they don't know where they stand with God. Lost people don't know where they stand. You know what? Most lost people, they think they're pretty good. And they'll tell you that. You can go and ask them, hey, if, you know, do you know the Lord as your Savior? If you died today, would you go to heaven? They'd say, oh, I, I, th- I think so. That's great, man. That's great. Why do you think you're going to heaven? Well, I'm, I'm pretty good. You know why we think we're pretty good? Because we're comparing ourselves to someone else. Well, I'm no Adolf Hitler, you know. Oh, well, okay, that's really good. Do you know what? There's probably a lot of people, though, that are better than you. So instead of comparing yourself to those that are worse than you, what if you compared yourself to those that are better than you? Hmm. Would you still be good? Would you be good enough? Hey, you know what? If you understand what the Bible teaches, and they don't, that's why they think they're good. The Bible tells us that none of us are good enough. Let me show it to you. You're in Romans 5. Would you turn back to Romans 3? Notice what the Bible says in Romans chapter 3. In verse 10. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. None. Now, the law tells us that in order to get to heaven, you have to be perfect. You have to be sinless. You have to be righteous. Who's righteous? Uh, Not one. Nobody. You see, God gave the law a long time ago. Not so that we could be, keep it and be good enough to get to heaven, but God gave us the law so that when we tried to keep it, we would realize, oh no, I'm in trouble. But sometimes this thing called pride, this thing called self-righteousness, sometimes keeps us from seeing the truth about ourselves. 
And so we see the good part of us, but we don't see the failure. We don't see the sinfulness. We don't see the shortcoming. We deceive ourselves into thinking, oh, I'm good enough. No, the Bible says none of us are good enough. You see, and that's the problem with the lost. The lost don't understand how God sees them. They know how they see them, but they don't understand how God sees them. And the only way to know how God sees you is to open the Bible and read it. You have to know what God said about us. God said, there's none righteous, not one. That means, this morning, if going to heaven was based on how good we are, take a good look around. None of us would get there. None of us. Not on that basis. Because none of us are good enough. I'm not good enough. You're not good enough. None of us are good enough. There is none righteous. No, not one. That's how God sees us. But that's not all. Sometimes I ask people, are you perfect? Oh, oh, they'll... It's easy to admit that, isn't it? It's like, uh, duh, you know. No, I'm not perfect. And, and somehow we feel okay with that. But then I ask the next question. Ooh, that's a little harder to answer. I say, um, are you a sinner? Oh, well, well, oh, uh, no. That's what we want to say. But what does the Bible say? What does God say about us? Look down a few verses. We looked at verse 10. Look at verse 23. The Bible says there, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Think of it. The Bible says that people are lost because they don't understand how they, where they stand before God. They're lost because they don't realize that not only are you not perfect, but you're guilty. You're a sinner. Hey, look, how many lies you got to tell to be a liar? Just one. How many things you got to steal to be a thief? (laughs) Okay. The $6 million question, right? How many sins do you have to commit to be a sinner? Just one. And you know, that's why James said, you know, we have the Ten Commandments, right? They they refer to that as that's the condensed version of the law. And that's why James said, if you offend in one point, you're guilty of all. But some people think, well, I'm good because, well, I keep probably six, seven out of the ten, you know. Not good enough. If you don't keep them all, then you haven't kept the law. And that was the, that was the whole point of God giving the law so that we would realize we can't keep it. You know, we, we, we have trouble with Ten Commandments, but let's, if you go back to the beginning, when God made the world and creation and put Adam and Eve in the garden, you know what? He only gave them one. One commandment. Don't eat of this tree. That's it. They couldn't keep it. They did the one thing God said not to do. And by the way, that, that's all sin is. You know, we look around and we don't think our sin is really that bad. But look at Adam and Eve's sin. Their sin was they ate a piece of fruit. You talk about not being bad. That's that's, uh, really a whole lot better than our not bad. 
What does it mean? Look, all sin is the same. When we do what God said not to do, that's sin. And when we don't do what God said to do, that's sin. It's that simple. And it really doesn't matter what it is. That's why eating a piece of fruit had the same consequences as our sin, which is much worse than that. Right? We don't look so good. If we just stand up next to Adam and Eve, we don't look so good. But the real problem is, if you want to see how good you look, you're supposed to stand up next to, not Adam and Eve, but the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we stand next to him, we all look bad. Right? People don't know where they stand before God. God said, there's none righteous. God said in his word, all have sinned. You know what that means? That means we're all in trouble. We're all hopeless. We all need Jesus. And that's exactly why he came, to die on the cross. Because there was no other way. If I could get to heaven by being better and doing good, pull myself up by my bootstraps, don't you think God would be the biggest cheerleader cheering us on? Sure he would. Why did he send his own son to die in my place? Because there was no other way for me to make it. Notice what the Bible says in John chapter 3. Would you turn there with me? And I have to tell you, it's not getting any better. The picture is only looking a little worse. But if you think about it this way, it's getting a little clearer, isn't it? You see, the problem with lost people, the reason they're lost is because they don't know where they stand before God. They don't know how God sees them. God sees them as sinners. God sees them as unrighteous. Notice what the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 18. He that believeth on him, talking about Jesus, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What determines whether a person gets off the hook or if they're judged for their sins and sent to hell? What determines that? Verse 18 tells us what we do with the cross of Jesus Christ, whether we believe on Him or not, that is what determines which path we take. You see, what this verse tells us is that all on your life journey, from the time that you are aware of the difference of right and wrong, and you choose wrong anyway, from that moment forward, the Bible says you're, you're already condemned. You already made the wrong choice. You're on the path of destruction. You're already there. And as you journey through life, the only thing that can change your direction is that you stop and meet Jesus, that you accept what he did on the cross as your payment of sin. Now, what does that mean? It means you have to change the way you believe. It means you have to change the way you think. You've got to stop believing that you're good enough to get to heaven. That nonsense is not going to get you there. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're not enough. We're not good enough for that. You've got to stop believing that you can be good enough. Man, I'm trying, I'm working on it. Let me show you why 
You could never be good enough. You can't do enough good works to get to heaven. Let me show you why. Turn to Isaiah chapter 64. Back in the Old Testament of, your, of the Bible, Isaiah gave us a vivid description of what a sinner looks like in God's sight. Isaiah chapter 64 And then look with me, if you would, at verse 6. Isaiah 64, and then verse 6. The Bible says there, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses. That's the best of what you can do. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. When you go back and study those filthy rags, and you think about, what was he talking about there? Filthy rags, what is that? I don't know what you picture in your mind, but I'm going to tell you what that is a reference to. Back in the Old Testament, they had a disease called leprosy. Leprosy was a disease that attacked the, the flesh of the body. Huge putrefying, running sores would develop. It would literally eat the flesh. Well, so they would take bandages and they would wrap those parts of their body where those sores were. And all of that ooze and pus and all of that stuff that would come out would be absorbed into those rags. And after a while, those rags would be so contaminated, they weren't helping anymore. So they would take off that used, soaked, damaged rag, they would take those off so they could put new ones on. That pile of the old yucky stuff, that's what the prophet said. All of our good deeds to God looks like that. See, we don't realize that as sinners... Sin, think of sin like a sickness. When you're sick, hey, the world just got a biology lesson. We just, we just got a reminder of a refreshment on, on germs. We, when you're sick, you contaminate everything you touch. If what you have is contagious, right, you can leave it anywhere you go. People can come behind you. And contaminate themselves and not even realize it. That's what the prophet was saying about us spiritually. Spiritually, if you're a sinner and you're lost in sin, then even the good things that you try to do are contaminated with your sin. You can't impress God with that because you're in that sinful, lost condition. You're spiritually sick and everything you touch is like something that's been sneezed on. It's all ugly. In the sight of God. God says, oh, you can't accept that. A moment ago, I told you about Adam and Eve and how God showed them how sin had to be paid for and then covered. Their children, Cain and Abel, their stories in the Bible too. Abel chose to put his trust in God's method. And he said, I'm going to take a lamb and I'm going to use it as a picture of Christ 
and we're going to slay the lamb and we're going to take his blood and that's going to be the atonement. He, he said, we're going we're to use the sacrifice that God showed us to pay for sin. By participating in that, Abel was saying, I believe what God said and I'm accepting that as my payment of sin. But his brother said, oh no. Hey, he said, Abel, Abel's a shepherd. And if he can take one of his sheep and have his sins forgiven with that, he said, well, hey, I'm a farmer. And I should be able to take some of my crops and give that to God as an offering, and that should do it for me. The problem is, Cain missed the whole message that sin has to be covered. This isn't about trying to give a bigger offering than your brother. This isn't about trying to impress God with how good you are, how how good you look. And the Bible says that God rejected Cain's offering and said, no, that's not how it works. You know, there's still people trying to get to heaven like that today. They're still checking boxes, trying to do good deeds. They're still coming in, trying to impress everybody. They still think, if I give my best to God, He'll like it. It's not about God liking it. God loves all of us. He loves us so much that He sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. But God is just and God is holy. And your sins, just like my sins have to be paid for. And the only payment God will accept for any sin is the shed blood on the cross that Jesus gave. That's it. Cain said, I'm not not trusting that. I'm going to trust what I can do. I'm going to bring my offering, my crops. You know, there's still people today There's still people today saying, I'm working on it. I'm I'm trying. I'm doing my best. Knowing what the Bible teaches, I know you're never going to make it like that. That's hopeless. It will never work. And you know what? Lost people, they don't understand how God sees them. God sees all that stuff that you're trying to impress him with as those pile of yucky, dirty rags. See, because as sinners, everything, even our goodness, everything is contaminated with our sin. And though we can't see it, all that goodness we're trying to muster up, you know what it is? (laughs) It's full of something God hates. It's called pride. And when you put pride on anything, the Bible says God resists the proud. He hates that. I don't care what color you paint that flag, when you wave it in front of the Lord, hey, that's like putting red in front of a bull. God hates that. You're not going to get in that way. Flaunting pride and displaying pride is, is not a good solution. It won't work. Let me show you one more verse. Isaiah 59. And then i got to hurry. 
Why is this important? Because we're trying to help the lost, right? Someone who's not aware of how God sees them. Someone who's ever uh, known the difference between right and wrong and chose wrong anyway. You know what? They're lost. They're lost even if they hadn't got to the point where they realize it. They're just as lost right here as they're going to be the day that the light comes on. They're still lost. The Bible says in Isaiah 59, notice in verses 1 and 2. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. People don't understand, lost people don't understand that it's their sin that's cutting them off. It's their sin that's getting in the way between them and God. It's their sin that's going to keep them from going to heaven. And all of their goodness is tainted with that same sin. And so every time they try to show something to God, every time they try to do something good and trying to be better, guess what? It looks just as sinful as the last thing you held up. You haven't gained an inch. Notice what the Bible says in Romans chapter 3. We looked at it a moment ago in verse 23. What does it say there? It says, all have sinned and come what? Short. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what that means? It means you miss. It means you don't measure up. It means you're not going to make it short. I heard a little story one time about some athletic runners, you know, and they were, they were jumpers. They did hurdles and all this. And they were out practicing one day, getting ready for the big race. And they came across this ravine, and they challenged each other to see who could make it across first. And they flipped a coin to see who would go first. And the first guy, he won the toss. He got all ready. He stretched. He did all that. And uh, when the gun fired, boom, he, he tripped over his own shoelaces, and he fell right, right on the ground. Well, he missed by a mile. He didn't even come close. The second guy laughed, and he said, oh. He said, all right, I got this. Now, I'm sure to win because, man, you just, you just totally flopped it. So he's ready. He's getting set, and the gun goes off. And, boy, he runs, he runs. He builds up all his speed. He gets right to the edge of the little cavern they're trying to jump across. Boom, and he makes a great jump, and he misses it by inches and falls into the ditch. Okay, so I'm asking you, which one made it? So, does it really matter if you're a little bit better than the next guy? If you still miss, what good is that? And you see, that's how it's going to be in this matter of trying to get to heaven. There's a lot of people that think they're in good shape because, hey, I didn't fall flat on my face like you. But guess what? Even if you missed by a couple of inches, you still missed. The difference is, this isn't a practice run. This is the real thing. And if you miss heaven, because you refuse to listen to what God said about how to get there, that's your fault. And you have one chance to make this jump. One. If you miss it, it's forever. 
Time is short. Eternity is long. And the results are final. And you can't afford to miss. Lost people don't know where they stand with God. Number two, lost people, they know where they want to go. Isn't it interesting? Anybody that at least believes in God, they'll say, oh, I, I want to go to heaven. Sure, I want to go. Everybody wants to go to heaven, right? But they're deceived about how to get there. People say things that are totally not in the Bible. They say things like, well, we're all going to heaven just on different roads. Well, number one, there ain't a road that leads to heaven anywhere. So you can't get there from here like that. That's not a good philosophy. What does the Bible say? Let me show you a couple of verses about how to get to heaven from here. Look at the book of Acts in the New Testament. Acts chapter 16, in verse 31, and I'm going to speed up a little bit for just for time's sake. Acts chapter 16, in verse 31, the Bible says there, famous answer, right? Because in verse 30, let's back up and catch that. The Philippian jailer comes in and he says, Sirs, talking to Paul, uh, and he says, What must I do to be saved, right? Look at verse 30. And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? In verse 31, and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Let me tell you what that means. That means you put your trust in what Jesus did on the cross. Let that be the payment for your sins. And he says, you'll be saved. You know, a lot of times I think people have a hard time with that because it doesn't soothe their conscience. Nothing soothes your conscience like being able to do something good to make up for the bad you did. It makes us feel better. But once we understand the rules of the game, God created life and he made the rules. So when we understand the rules, that what God's looking for is this sacrifice, not the sacrifices you make. When you accept the sacrifice Jesus made on Calvary, that payment is applied to your account, and then you're declared forgiven. God declares you as righteous, right? The Bible says we put on the righteousness of Christ. And then one day when you stand before God, you're going to appear as if you've never sinned. It's called justification, just as if I've never sinned. Why would you ever look like that to God? Because when he looks at you, he sees the covering of Christ on you. That's what he was trying to show Adam and Eve back there in the Garden of Eden when he took those lambs and he he killed those lambs, right? And the blood was applied and then he took the skins and made a covering for them. That's what that was for, to show them you need this. It's called justification. We need it today. We need to allow God to cover us. We need to allow God to claim us, to forgive us. Proverbs 14, 12, you can write it down. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and quote it to you. It says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It just seems right to us somehow to afflict ourselves, all right, and, and to do hard things. And, and we think when we do that, we're making up for the bad we've done. But the Bible says that's not how it works. People say things like, hey, when I get to heaven, I'm hoping the good is going to outweigh the bad. And then God is going to let me in. Okay, time out. Uh, Show me that in the Bible. 
Where do you read that? Where are those scales? I've read the Bible cover to cover many times. You don't say nothing about that. You know why? Because it's not in there. It's not in there. I don't know who started that. I don't know where it came from. But it's not in the Bible. That's not the way God judges us. So if that's what you're hoping for, that's called a false hope. That's not a system that's even in, in place. So we have to think about that. We have to understand and be willing to do what God says instead of doing what we think or what we want if we really want it to work. Lost people know where they want to go, but you know what? They don't know how to get there. In Proverbs chapter 16, in verse 25, the Bible says there is a way that seems right unto a man. Another verse, another, another time that it's stated. But the end thereof are the ways of death. The problem is lost people don't know the way. It's like trying to get somewhere without a map. Lost people don't know the way to get where they want to go. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by doing his own good works. No, that's not what he said. He said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. The Bible says, he that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Boy, that makes it pretty simple, doesn't it? That kind of trims it down to the black and white. You either have Jesus and you're saved, or you don't have him and you're lost. That's why Jesus said, the Son of Man, talking about himself, is come to seek and to save that which was lost. He said, my plan was to come and die on a cross so that the lost, which is all of us, could be saved. The only way we can be saved is to allow him to take that payment he made on the cross and apply it to our sin. And then when it's paid for in God's record book, then we're good. So the way to get there is through Jesus Christ. Isaiah, we, we read a moment ago in the book of Isaiah, chapter 45 and verse 22. It says, Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. The way to get to heaven, the way to get to God is not by doing better and do, being good. It's, it's, it's by coming to God and asking Him for salvation, for forgiveness, for cleansing. There's a story in the Old Testament. They were wandering in the wilderness and some of them were getting bit by viperous, uh, venomous snakes and, and dying. And, and they were complaining to Moses, what do we do? This is a problem. And God told Moses, he said, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to make a pole with a, with a little stay on it, and I want you to put a serpent of brass on that pole. And I want you to put it out in the camp. And he said, when someone is bitten by, by a venomous snake, I want them to come and look at that pole, and if they'll do what I said and look at that pole, they will live. I know. I know that doesn't make sense. I know humanly speaking, we think that's not possible. But we're talking God here. God said, I will make sure they live if they will do what I said. So, so this whole thing was based on faith and obedience. 
Are you willing to do what God said? Or are you going to be stubborn and do it your way? The Bible tells us in that story that the people who heard that message, later when they were bitten, the ones who chose to obey and do what God says, and they came and looked on that pole, they lived. But the ones who didn't, when they were bitten, they died. And then when Jesus came, Jesus said this to the people of his day. He said, remember that serpent, that pole? He said, just as the serpent was lifted up in wilderness, he said, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that I may draw all men unto me. What was he saying? He was saying, the cross is just like that old story of the serpent on the pole. Those who are willing to believe God's plan and look to Jesus will be forgiven and be saved. And those who try to do it all themselves will be lost. You know, God made salvation so easy. A little child can do it. Then why are we having a problem? Just humbling ourselves and coming to God the way He asked us to. Why is that such a problem? It's so easy. I want to ask you today have you ever done it? Have you accepted Jesus? Have you come to the cross? Have you said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner? I can't do enough good to get to heaven. So I come and I bow at the feet of Jesus. I'm asking you to save me. You ever done that? You ever been saved? If you have, then I hope today's message will help you be able to explain it clearly to someone else. Because we're his messengers. And God uses us to help seek and to save other people who are lost. But if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior... Maybe you just always thought it was based on how good you were and you've been trying your whole life. Hey, I'm here to tell you, you can hang that up. Because you still will be trying your whole life and you'll never know if you ever, are, if you ever made it to being good enough. Can I just answer the question? You're not. You haven't and you never will be. Everything we do when we're lost is contaminated by sin. Because of that, you, you could never be good enough to get to heaven. You would have to be absolutely perfect your whole life, which would take you back before sin, which isn't possible because none of us are. The real solution is right here. To believe on Jesus, to accept what he did for you. The Bible calls it the gift of God. And if we receive his gift then we become His children. If you've never received the Lord Jesus as your Savior today, I want to encourage you to do it today. Hey, we'll be glad to help you. We'll take a Bible, show you how. Very simple. It won't cost you anything. You won't have to do anything. There's no long list of deeds. It won't take years of penance. You can be saved when you leave here this morning. If you open your heart and receive Christ as your Savior. John 1.12, Jesus said, But as many as received him, 
To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Have you believed on the name of Jesus Christ? Have you accepted the payment he made? Have you accepted that as your payment? That means you've got to stop trusting your church membership and your baptism. You've got to stop trusting all the good stuff you're doing, thinking that stuff's going to get you to heaven. No, no, no. You'll be like the songwriter said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. I wholly lean on Jesus' name. That's why that song was written that way. To remind us that that's the only way of salvation. I trust you're saved today. If not, let us help you with that. If you are, then be sure and tell somebody. Because you know, most of the time when we come across people outside or even inside our church. Hey, you know, I've seen lost people in church too. And most of the time, you know what? They're, they're still in this section over here where, where they don't yet realize they're lost. And so when they come in contact with Bible truth, like what I'm sharing this morning, it kind of helps turn the light on. It kind of helps open their eyes to realize, oh no, you know what? Things really aren't as I thought. And then that feeling of lostness sets in. And it's usually after that that there's a willingness to come to Jesus. Oh, let's help everybody we can come to Jesus because He's the way. Let's bow for prayer. Father, how we love you today. How we thank you so much for your goodness to us. And how we're glad, Lord, that you provide a sure way of salvation. Not just, I think so, I hope so. But Lord, you said in your word, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Lord, we have a no-so salvation. And we can know it today by believing what the Bible says, by just doing what you asked us to do, by receiving the payment that you've already made. So simple. Lord, we pray just have your will and way in our hearts and lives. We thank you for all you're doing in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. And this morning, if God's speaking to your heart, maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, could I invite you just to come? Let us take the Bible and show you how to receive Christ. You can leave here today with a no-so salvation. I know I'm going to heaven. Not based on how I feel, not based on what I've done, but based on what the Bible says. Hey, that's rock solid. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm saved, but I'm, I'm thinking of somebody I know who's lost. Maybe they don't know they're lost. Hey, you know what? God might want to use you to shine the light on their path to help them realize they need Jesus before it's too late. Would you be that kind of friend who lovingly, compassionately comes alongside them and shares the truth of God's Word? and says, hey, I'm just concerned about you. I want you to be in heaven with me one day. So I wanted to show you this. Just like somebody showed me. Maybe you want to slip out and come and pray for them. Lift up their name and ask the Lord to work in their heart that they too might receive Jesus as their Savior. You know, we, we can't save anyone. We can only tell them how to be saved. We can hope they'll listen. And I hope today has kind of given you a little fuel, a little help to know how to explain it, how to talk to someone else 
about your faith and share with them how you know Christ as your Savior and how you know one day when you die, because of Jesus, you'll be in heaven. Hey, that's, that's such a sweet assurance. And I hope everyone here today has that. If you don't, don't leave without it. Let us take the Bible and show you how you too can know you're on your way to heaven. Accepting Christ is as easy as ABC, someone said. Admit you're a sinner. Believe that Christ Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. And then call upon Him and ask Him to save you. He will. Jesus said, All that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Amen. Thank you so much. You can look this way. God bless you today. Thank you for being here with us. And I trust the message has been a help to you, uh, either in your own life, in your faith, or maybe in, in the area of sharing it with others. You know, sometimes I think we, we have the right intentions, and uh, we, we want to help people, but we just don't know how to do it. And so I hope messages like this will, will just kind of help you know how to say it, how to word it, what verse to use maybe. And so I hope you took good notes. If not, then uh, we'll help you with that if you have a question. And uh, be glad if you're ever able to share it with someone who trusts Christ as their Savior. What a blessing that would be.